Make it till you make it. Yeah. But yeah, I have a, I have one for you today. Okay. A story. A story. Okay. And I was going to keep going on my streak of like, wow, Giselle's not doing like, like well, no, they've all still been horrible. But I was changing it up a little bit. Yeah, right? you weren't doing like, so much the love stories for, because yeah, you kind of get stuck yeah. in the I, you little, love the love stories because they love have the love like stories. all the elements of a really yep. good story and the drama and the tea and uh, I am actually going back to a love story which but this one's really sad okay but, they, but they're all really sad when you think about it but this one is sad and this one came about you want to know how I found this one because I started thinking a little while ago like. I wonder how many crimes were committed during COVID lockdowns yeah. that we didn't really know about because everybody was on lockdown, right? Yeah. So you you didn't really see anybody and you didn't really like, like people didn't go out as much. So it's not like you could say like, wow, someone's behavior has really changed because they don't yeah. go out anymore. They don't, you know? So I remember actually at the beginning of the lockdown, hearing many podcasts talk about how and even like in true crime groups I was in and I'm in a couple of like women empowerment type groups which honestly I know all of you are probably like what the fuck crystal I I wouldn't expect to be in a group like that I don't know how I'm in there but I'm there and I I peep anyway <laughs> I remember at the beginning of lockdown all these people were talking about how concerned they were for people, women especially in domestic violence situations, because they were now locked at home with their abusers in a way that they're not going to be going outside for a month. They, yeah. Their abusers can physically assault them, beat them yeah. without worrying about bruises because you're not going anywhere. You're we not going to see. Yeah. So that was like, I was kind of trying to research some things. I know that Invisible Choir, it was either Invisible Choir or Certain Scale, you know, my two go-to uh, yeah. podcasts um, that had a case about um, some COVID related, you know, crimes. Um, and so I was just doing a little research and I came upon this one and this one it can be considered COVID related in some aspects, but this is a case that happened very recently. So you may have already heard about it, but um, something I wanted to mention before I started as well is uh, as I was researching this case, I noticed that a lot of news outlets um, had elected to leave the name of some of the victims in this case out, but they are very easily searchable and i mean there's full on like people magazine articles on this case where they you know show the picture and the the clear identities of the people in this case but they're still not using 
some of the names. So I think just to err on the side of caution, I am going to um, not use the real name of the mother in this case okay. or the do- or the daughter, because those are the two names that they seem to protect in the media. And so I, uh, not on all, because like I said, it's easily searchable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to use for the mother, I'm going to use a fake name and for for the daughter, I'm just going to use uh, an initial, basically. Okay. So, but like I said, I I I just didn't know what to do in this case. So I've run into that on a couple of cases in the past too, where some articles state like, "Hey, we're not going to use the name," and then other articles are very clearly using the full name, and it's really hard to know. Yeah. And in that case, it's like, okay. They are not giving the name for a reason. I may not uh-huh. know the reason, but there's a reason out there. So like, like you said, yeah. on the side of caution. Yeah. And since this is a very recent case, that actually hasn't gone officially to trial, uh, which is something I was going to mention, too, that I will update on this case when it does go to trial. But um, I mean, as of three days ago, uh, the prosecution was still asking for more time. Oh, okay. uh, To investigate. So anyways, I am going to tell you the story of a family and the tragedy that happened to this family right around the time that um, that COVID started kicking off. So, okay, this is a case that happened out of Las Vegas. And like I said, it's been in the news, so you may have heard of it before, but. There wasn't much background on a lot of the main people in this case. So I'm just going to tell you what I know from the articles that I've read and from what's been released so far. So in December of 2020, Mary, which is not her real name, but we're going to refer to her as Mary, was married to a man named Eli Dominguez. And by all accounts, this couple was a very, very sweet, very joyful couple. They were uh, described as just good people who made each other happy and who made other people happy just by being around them together. Uh, Mary was a phlebotomist and Eli worked outside of the home. Some articles say he was a mechanic. Some articles say something about construction, but they were both hardworking people. They both had jobs. Uh, They were married. They were in love. Family described Eli as salt of the earth. And they just talked about how both of them, Eli and Mary, made just like an amazing couple. They had two beautiful children together. Their firstborn, R, who I will just refer to as R, was a spunky little six-year-old girl um, around the time. And their son, Mason, who was a three-year-old who was just happy and just super sweet. The family of four lived together in Las Vegas, Nevada. And again, family members say, They were a great family. The kids were super cute, always happy, always well-dressed, always taken care of. Like, this was just like a hardworking little young family. You know, 
it just clicked with me as you were describing this family. Uh huh. Why these types of stories appeal to you so much? <laughs> why? This it's the Disney formula. Mm-hmm. You start out with the happy, perfect yeah. two parent household, uh-huh. <laughs> and then one of the parents dies. So yeah. I can already tell you. And unfortunately, someone does die in January of 2021. Eli Dominguez suddenly becomes ill and sadly dies of respiratory failure linked to COVID-19 on January 17th. He was only 29 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the family was left just reeling after this. Nobody, this like wasn't on anybody's radar. Obviously, this never is. This was right. so tragic, so like unexpected that he left just all friends and family just completely devastated. Absolutely. Right? This was just completely shocking. So Mary now found herself a young widow and a mother of two. And she quickly began struggling with bills. And I mean, just from what I I know of how happy they were before, mm-hmm. like it was she was under a very heavy weight of guilt. And I think, too, a very heavy weight of now this pressure of having to take care of her two kids on her own. Did you mean guilt or did you mean grief? Oh, what did I say? You said guilt. Oh, I meant grief. Okay. I I wanted to check because yeah. I'm like, what did she do I, to him? No, uh-uh. It was grief. It was okay. grief. She was under an immense amount of pressure because she had to provide for the two kids and this also like balancing just this heavy weight of grief. Yeah. You know, at the same time. That and her kids are so young. Yeah. That she has to hide her grief too because they're not going to really fully understand it. No, Mason was three, R was six. Like, this is really upsetting and sad. And then plus, you're facing all of these lockdowns and all of the, the, you know, all this COVID stuff. I'm pretty sure just looking at the date of when he died, she was not allowed to probably be there in the hospital with him. Oh, I forgot about that too. Because I remember hearing stories of people who just had to drop off their significant other at the hospital and then they they were never able to go and be with them. And it was a lot of, um, you know, FaceTiming with your loved ones while they we're in a hospital room alone. Yeah. And um, as a result, there's a whole lot of like lack of closure with all of oh. these deaths because these people never really got to say goodbye. 100%. So unfortunately, all of that combined left Mary in a very vulnerable position, which what happens next, I have to say, after reading everything, I do not blame her at all. But it was around this time that Eli's good friend, and I'm using my air quotes again, mm-hmm. an acquaintance, 35-year-old Brandon Tuesland, swiftly stepped in. He sort of like came in and just presented him at, 
presented himself as like a hero. Like he was only there as like a friend and just wanted to help Mary through her pain and grief. And um, he was very attentive, very supportive. Uh, he seemed to give Mary the room to grieve while also helping her financially when he could and helping her with the kids. So this was like a good friend, right? Like this is this is what friends do for other friends, spouses who, uh, who find themselves suddenly widowed. They just swoop, swoop right in. Right. And how old was Mary? And you um, said that the husband was 29. Yeah. Mary was 28 years old. So I okay. think there were, yeah. So now remember Eli died in January. Okay. Mm-hmm. By March, Mary and her children had moved in with Brandon. And so this, I, I, again, I don't blame her. I feel like she was under this, she was blinded by grief. I feel like she thought, here's this guy who wants to help me. He was also a friend of my, of my late husband. So if my late husband liked him, you know, he has to be a good guy. Maybe this is just the way it needs to be till I get back on my feet. I mean, I don't blame her. And, um, man, as a, as a phlebotomist, she was a, um, an essential worker. Yeah. So her with her children, nowhere to go. It's just her. Yeah. Um, depending on what Brandon did for work, potentially, this is someone that she can trust her children with while she's stuck working 20 hours a day. Correct. Yeah. I can see her thought process. Yeah. So like I said, Mary and her two kids moved into his three story, three bedroom house on the corner lot of the, of Saddlebrook park drive in Las Vegas, um, about 10 miles Northeast of the strip. Now, Mary's and Eli's family were a little shocked by this, which rightly so, right? They're like, uh, Eli just died like eight weeks ago and you're moving in. No one. But was it, was it romantic at that point or was it survival? Um, I think it was survival for her. I think it was romantic for Brandon. Okay, because yeah. I could see if it was romantic for her, I would probably be like, um, can we take a minute to to process your grief before latching on to a new person? Because people do that. Like, yeah, it's it happens. And yeah, but if this was purely about survival, I get why the family would be like, uh, we're a little concerned. But yeah, also. A three-story, three-bed house. Um, I'm pretty sure I know the neighborhood you're talking about because uh-huh. I think I slept in my car when I went on a road trip through <laughs> Vegas. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the neighborhood because yeah. I remember I specifically chose a nicer neighborhood because yeah. I did not want to be in the bad part of town when I slept in my car overnight. But yeah, and it, and it was a good neighborhood. It was a quiet neighborhood. It was a nice neighborhood. And that and is so, a hard offer to turn down. Yeah, I, I can totally see. So no one could understand how Mary, who had always been madly in love with Eli, uh, could move on so quickly. 
but they were, they also didn't want to push Mary away. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so her family tried to be supportive of, you know, all of this that was going on and they even, you know, were okay with starting to invite Brandon to a couple of family events, right? They're like, okay, we, we need to accept this. This, this is something tragic that happened. Obviously Mary needs a lot of support. Uh, we want to not push her away. So we are going to try to include this guy. If that's, if that's who she wants in her life, that's who we want in our life. Right. Right. Um, unfortunately, Surprise, surprise, Brandon did not make a good impression. Right off the bat, Brandon came off as very disrespectful and rude to several of her family members, like right away from day one. So again, if we've learned anything about narcissistic domestic abusers, that's what they do, right? They, they're, they'll act like that and have no worries about acting like that because what they're trying to do is they're trying to break down the existing relationships that their victims have with their families to to further isolate them, right? So if I'm going to be an asshole, that family is going to have a problem with me. Um, they're going to not want me around. I'm going to guilt my partner into being like, well, your family shouldn't control you. All you need is me. And so it's like a systematic, just like breakdown of other relationships so that it ends up, you're the only one that has a relationship with the person. So I feel like that's true to a degree with the like isolating the person. Uh huh. But I I also know that like actual true narcissistic abusers are incredibly charming so that Some no can one be. sees yeah. it coming uh -huh. when all of them yeah. go, no, there's no way he would do that to her. We know this guy. We love this guy. Uh -huh. Um. So well, I, I, I don't like think it, it depends on how manipulative they are. A, a not very good one would come off like Brandon, but an experienced and practiced one would know how to shape everyone's opinions of him better. And I think Brandon was just looking for um, as much control as he could have in a very fast amount of time. Because I think he sees Mary as like, she's totally vulnerable at this point. Right. Oh yeah. And perfect prey right now. Mm -hmm. So like, I think, I think it was just perfect situation for him I, where he so, didn't really have to worry about winning over the family because the, he had the grief stricken widow that, you know, probably didn't know what to think. And he can also reshape what they're saying. So it's uh they don't like me because your husband just died. They'll they'll get used to it. It's just the situation. it's not me they don't mm -hmm. like, it's the situation they don't like. Yeah. And but I also think that she's just crippled with an immense weight of grief as well as having to provide for her two children alone. So I, I feel like again, Brandon saw that as the perfect opportunity to gain control and manipulate as fast as he could. Because he does this very fast. Well, yeah, you got to move in after less than two months. Yeah. Um, I know that this hasn't even gone to trial yet, but is there any information on 
if he's done similar controlling behavior to past yes. partners? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. This is this is a uh, a, a pattern, pattern for with him. him that she did not know anything about. I bet you uh, Eli didn't know either. I'm pretty sure Eli didn't know. No. Yeah. So, um, like I was saying, Brandon saw this opportunity to manipulate and gain control, and control he did very quickly. And I'm talking about days after moving in with Brandon, Mary knew that she made a major mistake because he was no longer the easygoing, sweet Brandon. He became extremely possessive and very controlling. Like I'm talking day two. And we, we've heard this many times. Like this is a story we hear a lot, right? They when the relationship you, gets to that yep, next level. Uh-huh, and then they just switch on you on a dime. So anyone listening, if that happens to you, just leave. It's yeah. not going to get better. They're not going to go back to being that sweet person they were when you first started dating. That is your huge red flag to go. <laughs> like, leave. Cut your losses. Run. Um, yeah. I'm just, I cannot believe this was after two months. Yeah. And I'm telling you, and I'm no psychologist, obviously, uh, but like he saw an opportunity and he jumped on it. She was, she lost her husband. Right. And like we were talking about in the whole COVID times, like it wasn't like your regular, oh, I'm going to watch them, you know, like deteriorate in the hospital and be there with them every day. No, it was probably one day he was fine. And then five days later he was gone. And no closure, nothing. Right. And also, the last two years have been a blur. But January 2021, weren't they still not even allowing public funerals at that point? I think so. I I don't remember. I I know for a good chunk of 2020, people couldn't even have funerals or like memorial services for their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because they couldn't gather. So I think everybody needs to keep that in mind when we're going through her story and you're like, I would never do that. That would No, th- there was a lot of other compounding issues happening that I feel like made this situation and Brandon's ability to control and manipulate way easier than if this was just some regular thing. Yeah. And that's why when we're talking about this timeline and we're like, man, two months. You also have to remember, like, because of the isolation factor here, you can also condense a regular timeline way down and accelerate it because of the the isolation factor there. They don't have to contend with, oh, you're going to go out and talk to your girlfriends today. Uh, You're going to have time away from me because we're just dating and we only see each other once a week. They're going from, like, he's literally going over there all the time to like, hey, um, I could help you so much better and it just makes so much more sense. Just move in with me. Like 100%. then you don't have to pay for rent and uh, I can support you better. Uh, I can make sure that you get on your feet. The kids will be fine. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things like that during during COVID. Um, people making decisions because they had to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, later it was described that Brandon obviously methodically and systematically just started exercising more and more control over her. And at first Mary's family did express concern. Um, but their concern just made Mary withdraw more and more from the family. So fearing that they would just push her away forever, they kind of started backing off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, quickly, Mary and her children began living in hell. Like, and I'm going to describe it to you right now. But okay, as soon as they moved in, Brandon immediately began modifications to the house which included covering the windows, installing CCTV TV, CCTV cameras all over the house. He put locks on the outside of the bedroom doors, installed motion sensors inside the home. What? Mary was not allowed to use the bathroom alone or with the door closed. When she was not forced to clean or clean the house or cook meals, She was tied up and bound in her room. Sometimes he would even use duct tape to shut her mouth. Um, Whenever he allowed her to even leave the house, which was only with him, she was always handcuffed to the passenger side. What? No one was allowed outside the home without him. Along with the restrictions imposed on Mary and the children, Brandon also began psychological, sexual, and physical abuse on a daily basis. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, Now, I think Mary at this point is frightened and fearing for her life. So I think she just, she like resigned herself to just almost like obeying Brandon and like, because as long as I obey, things can stay calm right yeah and it's like um the mother's protective instinct Uh uh-huh uh-huh but also where's she gonna go exactly now friends and family members would continuously try to reach out to mary through email or text but -hmm. what they didn't know is that brandon already had control over her cell phone and her emails and he would constantly look at the texts, at the emails, and send awful messages back to them pretending to be her. At one and point, he, I'm sorry, he, where yeah. are we in the timeline here? This is like a couple of weeks after moving in. So we're in like April. Yeah. Yeah, this is like right away. Oh my so God. friends and family are like, oh, like, okay. Um, he even went as far as texting Mary's boss and quitting her job. Really? Yeah. He would take her cell phone and for hours a day would constantly like text friends and family members pretending to be her and just berating them with awful texts and messages. Why? Because he could, because this was during lockdown and no one's going to come over to the house because of lockdown and no one's going to come actually visually check on her because they can't. And who knows what he was saying to them 
And what was As his her. job? Um, it is unclear. I do not know what he did for a living. Okay, so it's entirely possible that he was furloughed Laid or unemployed off. and yeah. so on home all day long with nothing yeah. better to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that she wasn't expected to show up for work anymore, he even had more control. He took over her social media accounts, and then by late November, he had cut her he had cut her completely off her entire family. Her family thinking it was her that was cutting them off. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he had, yeah. he had just burned so many bridges and severed so many ties pretending to be her. And you know, on their side, they're probably like, man, she's just not handling her grief well. Uh-huh. We need to just keep giving her her space to mm-hmm. heal, do whatever mm-hmm. she needs. At least she's with Brandon who's taking care of her. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was like a perfect storm mm-hmm. um eventually he started keeping all three of them in separate rooms so they could not be near each other for long periods of time so he kept her tied up in a room he kept R tied up in another room and then little mason tied up in another room oh my god those little babies yeah now R was still attending school when it was in person regularly, mm-hmm. um, but he would constantly threaten her to keep her mouth shut about anything happening in the home, or he would kill her mother. So here's the seven-year-old being told, you better not say anything at school. You better not say anything over Zoom. Like, right. keep your mouth shut or I'm killing your mom. And this little girl has just lost her father. Right. So I am pretty sure I would follow any direction someone gave me like that, too, uh-huh. as a little girl. Uh, little Mason would stay home with his mom, but Brandon would still keep them in separate rooms during the day. He did I allow. Mean, that's not even. Yeah. That's not yeah. even staying home together. No. Uh-uh. He did allow her to see him sometimes. And every time she did see him, um, that more and more bruising appeared on his body. Oh, my God. Then suddenly, on December 11th, uh, 2021, she suddenly stopped seeing and hearing Mason altogether. Brandon told Mary that Mason was in his room. He wasn't feeling good, uh, but that she was not permitted to see him. After asking countless times to see her son, Brandon finally blamed Mason's Mason's absence on Mason himself. And he stated something to her along the lines of, and this was stated in the police report, he was sick and him choked on his vomit. I tried to save him in vain. So he didn't really, yeah, he didn't really come out and say that he killed him. But he was like, he's sick. He choked on his vomit. I tried to save him in vain. There's a difference between he's sick and you tried to save him, like, a.k.a. he's dead. Like, that. Yeah. that's a very big yeah. difference. Also, yeah. December 2021, they were in that house for nine months mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. God. So she asked if she could see him and... At this point, she's referring to, can I see his body? 
right? Like, yeah, I want to see him. I, yeah, she knows. And he refused, stating that his freedom would be taken away. He wasn't going to let her see the her son or the body because his freedom would be taken away. Oh, I'm I'm sorry that like our freedom is taken away and you don't yeah. want this. Yeah. And then she asked why he didn't call 911 or get help. And he told her, well, because if the police came and saw Mason and all of his bruises and injuries, like, again, my freedom would be gone. Maybe you should have thought of that before you abused a tiny little boy. Yeah. Um, so knowing that her child was dead and wanting to save her and her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um Mary begins to devise an escape plan. Now, since Brandon basically watched her every move, she decided, I need to wait. I need to plan very carefully. So she started watching him very carefully, studying his patterns so that she could find the perfect opportunity to try and escape somehow or get a message out somehow. Brandon had a routine of conducting searches on Mary, Mary's bedroom, and on R and R's bedroom. I'm not exactly sure what he was looking for. Maybe he was looking for like weapons or something they weren't allowed to have. I was thinking in my head like makeshift weapons. I don't know. But he would conduct these body searches of both of them and their bedrooms very often. I mean, Uh, he could be calling them quote unquote body searches. Yeah. So uh, I don't, yeah. Uh, Mary would watch him during these searches and noticed that Brandon never checked between the mattress cover and the sheet on her side of the bed. And she also noticed that he never really checked the inside of like ours socks or anything like that. Like he would just check around her body. So during the week, uh, Brandon would allow Mary to come with him when he dropped off R at school. Mm-hmm. And every time they went to school, Mary was handcuffed to the passenger side. And she just started observing everything around her in the car. And she noticed that there was always a stack of post-it notes that sat in the center console. Mm-hmm. So even though she was handcuffed... Every time Brandon would get out of the car to walk R into school, mm-hmm. she would shimmy herself and take one of the sticky notes off the stack very carefully and slip it somewhere on her body. This is so smart. Yeah. Uh-huh. Over the next few weeks, little by little, when she was out of sight of the cameras And when Brandon wasn't around, Mary began writing notes on the post-its and stashing them under the mattress cover on her side of the bed, because again, he never checked there. One article said that, and I quote, about eight or nine notes about their captivity and concerns that her son was dead was written over the course of roughly two months. So she, every time she was able to in the car, she would grab another sticky note. She would hide it on herself when he wasn't around. She would write down more details and then she would just start saving these sticky notes in the mattress cover sheet on her side of the bed. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Then on the evening of February 20th, Mary somehow and surprisingly convinces Brandon to let her daughter R stay in her room for at least part of the evening. Okay. Now, when she knows for sure that they are completely alone and away from camera's view, Mary begins whispering instructions into R's ear. She takes her daughter through the plan over and over and over again and tells her daughter to slip the notes that she wrote in her sock because she knew that he doesn't check there. He doesn't check her socks. But so, also think of it, oh my God, do you know how uh, how uh-huh. nerve-wracking that would be? Oh, yeah. Because what if, I mean, it sounds like he's an idiot because he got caught, but what if he was doing it on purpose? What if yeah. he was like, she watches me, uh-huh. and so I'm not going to do this, and then yeah. I'm going to give her a little bit of freedom, and I'm going to catch her? Yeah. Because yeah. that would be in the back of my head. I'm like, what uh-huh. if he is doing this on purpose? Yeah. Well, good thing he's not that smart. So when Mary is convinced and feels good that her daughter knows the plan and goes hash, goes over it with her a bunch of times, she tells her, okay, you're going to slip these in your sock. And when you get to school, you need to give this to a teacher right away. Mm-hmm. So on February 22nd at around 8.30 a.m., Seven-year-old R walked into her classroom and with trembling hands takes the stack of sticky notes out of her sock and hands it to her teacher. Oh, my God. And one of the notes said, and I quote, help, send the police. We are being held against our will. There are weapons in the house. Now, thankfully, school officials went into action right away. They they matched the handwriting on the note to Mary's handwriting on some paperwork that they had on file Mm -hmm. for R. And then they immediately notified the police. Now, police, again, thankfully, immediately took action and they began surveillance on the house while they were awaiting the search warrants that they needed to approach the house and get in the house. Right. Mm -hmm. So it only took a couple of hours, but as they were watching the house, they observed Brandon and Mary leaving the house to drive away in the white Nissan sedan that Brandon was driving. So police were able to pull it over shortly after they left the neighborhood um, for some probably bogus traffic violation. And immediately when they approached the car, it was clear as day they could see Mary handcuffed to the passenger side. Yeah. So, so they're like, get out of the car. They immediately arrest him. He's taken into custody. She's taken to the police station for questioning. And that's when she tells the detectives everything that she was being held captive by Brandon, that she was not allowed to leave the house. And she kept telling them to, I'm also not allowed to enter the garage. Um, She told the detectives that she hadn't seen her four-year-old son since December 11th, and she suspected that he was dead. So the police finally get the search warrant like a couple hours after he's arrested. Um, They go back to the house, and 
immediately they notice the moving truck that has been in the driveway and a neighbor that they talked to later said that that moving truck had been there for like weeks and weeks already in the driveway. Mm -hmm. When they opened the moving truck, it was filled with dirt. So they were like, this is weird. And in the garage, which I think they went to immediately because Mary kept telling, kept stressing to them, he never lets anyone in the garage. He never lets anyone in the garage. Uh, They found a chest freezer and inside hidden under a false cardboard bottom under a lot of frozen food. They unfortunately found the remains of four-year-old Mason. He was still handcuffed and bound by his legs. And the police officer said it was very clear that this child had been abused because of just the extensive bruising and injuries all over his body. Oh, my God. But also kind of a throwback to our raw chicken dude was eating that food i i don't know i don't even care it like just, the yeah the the little detail of like the frozen food in but there this, too but this poor little boy like yeah uh, that i mean that must have been a horrible just like thing to see yeah you know um, especially it, i think also the detail that like he was still bound and handcuffed yeah is also it just makes it that extra degree worse yeah and this four-year-old boy was like a tiny four-year-old boy he well, was like yeah, on the smaller he was side nourished for a year yeah um in the backyard next to the trampoline they found a hole about eight feet deep which was clearly going to be the future burial spot for the boy unfortunately and the dirt that was in the moving truck they figured out came from this hole he was digging so he was digging the hole and taking the dirt and putting it into the moving truck i don't know why um i mean was he still was he actively digging the hole at the time yeah and maybe just to like not be suspicious i right because i, I mean this is where my mind is going is he's digging a hole for Mary and R. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's, I mean, that's where my mind is going. That's a pretty damn deep hole. Yeah. You don't need is. a hole that big for, for a very small child. Yeah, I didn't um, even think about that's, that. That's a hole you Unless can dig. he was going to do the whole freezer, maybe? I don't know. I don't think so, because a chest freezer that, like... That's a big thing to move. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Um, A nearby neighbor who lived next door to Brandon told the media that he had never seen the kids ever or noticed anything suspicious about the house on the corner, which makes me sad that the kids lived there for so long and he never saw them. He didn't even know there was anyone but Brandon living there. That was my question. I was about to ask, like, okay, maybe he didn't see them kind of like your neighbors never saw you, but they knew you existed. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they didn't even know that these people existed, that is sad. Yeah, it's really sad. (sighs) So the next day, Brandon appeared briefly in court and was ordered held without bail, thankfully, 
A hearing was set for February 28th, where prosecutors announced plans to combine the charges for murder and kidnapping under one criminal case. Mm-hmm. Um, after questioning Mary for a long time, they released her to her family, and obviously no charges were made against her since it was clear she was the victim and her daughter was the victim. Um, soon, Mary testified to a grand jury that Brandon became possessive and controlling right after she moved in, um, in March of 2021. And she told them that that same December, he had taken Mason to his room because he was not feeling well and she never saw him again. So the grand jury was able to hear those two, you know, details. Um, it was during this time that it was revealed that Mason suffered, and I quote, a consolation of internal injuries, including blunt force trauma to his abdomen, bruising to his torso and extremities, and there was a huge bite mark on his left arm. Oh, my God. On April 7th, 2022, Brandon was indicted by the Clark County Grand Jury. The DA said that this is a clear first degree murder by way of child abuse, not by premeditation or deliberation. So I mean, I would argue that child abuse is pretty damn deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brandon is now faced with charges of murder, child, child abuse, neglect or endangerment resulting in substantial bodily harm kidnapping of a minor resulting in substantial bodily harm, child abuse, neglect, endangerment, kidnapping, and battery constituting, constituting domestic violence by strangulation and is being held without bail. Now, um, his defense team tried to get the judge to put bail you know, like to set a bail for him. Mm-hmm. And they were like, he's he's not a flight risk because he didn't even leave the jurisdiction after Mason's death. So he's obviously not a flight risk. Uh, the judge denied this request. Good, because uh, it makes no sense. Yeah. A couple days ago on May 5th, uh, 2022, Brandon officially pleaded not guilty to the charges. Um, I Ma- don't understand how. Yeah. Mason's relatives who packed that courtroom. There's pictures of it that we'll post on Instagram. They were all wearing shirts with Mason's just like super cute face, like right on the front. And they were holding up posters that read justice for Mason. Um, prior to that, in March of 2022, uh, Mary filed a wrongful death and negligence lawsuit against Brandon And he countered that with a suit of his own in which he claimed that Mary knew about Mason's death and she decided to help him preserve the body in the freezer. What? Yeah. To which her lawyers responded to the claims as those are just like fantastical claims. Like he is just like delusional. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Now, prosecutors are planning to go for the death penalty in this case, which that is why they have asked for more time to uh, to before trial to research so that they have a like solid death penalty case on this. And the trial date, the official trial date for this case has yet to be set. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. that is a doozy. Yeah. 
So I will update you. Um, last I heard, like we said, there's no trial date set. It's supposed to be set soon. I think prosecutors just need more time um, to collect more more evidence, which I think they are pretty sure they already have. But I think they want all their ducks in the in a row so that they can like like this can be just done. Yeah, and you know, at this point, I feel like some of it has to be maybe like forensic computer uh -huh. analysis. Yeah, there has to be something that they are waiting on a. Well, um, Mason's autopsy hasn't even been finalized. Like okay. they were able to like uh to like go through and like name all of his injuries and stuff, but his exact cause of death hasn't been filed. Yeah. Yeah. So they're probably waiting on like that last few things from the um mm -hmm. oh the experts. Yeah. To yeah. to be finalized and done and Yeah. And you don't want to set a wait trial till, date. Wait till you see this guy, this Brandon ass hat. Like I he think is, I may have seen it. He is awful. And then when you look at pictures of the family before Eli died, before the dad died, I mean it's it's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. Look at this. His, I don't. This was not an upgrade for her, FYI. This was a huge downgrade. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. That's like, she's beautiful. I think he knew he didn't have a chance with her, like, other than catching her when she was at her, her most, her lowest, most vulnerable point. Yeah. So he is probably presenting it as a this was my best friend uh he asked me to take care of you so here I'm gonna take care of you and then once he got her in the house it turned into you're mine I'm uh -huh. keeping you yeah yeah oh by the way later it was revealed that Brandon had a previous domestic violence charge against him from four years ago by his ex-wife who he has two children with already. His children are currently uh, five and seven. So around and the same. please say that he did not have visitation rights. With them. I, I, from what I've read, it doesn't sound like he was in their life much. Okay. And I hope that's because of a court order that said he, because can you imagine? Oh my God. Yeah. No. I mean, during the lockdown. How did that affect you during lockdown? How did um custody? Oh, like, oh we didn't. How we did, never. How did we joint custody work? We didn't change anything. We kept we kept our um our time the exact same. Uh, I wasn't as you know intense about like COVID as Luke's dad was. Like he would send me articles all the time about uh, wipe down the groceries and, you know, do this, this and this. And uh, and like, you know, uh, we were on the same page as far as like as soon as we can get vaccinated, we're going to get vaccinated as soon as Luke can get vaccinated. He's going to get vaccinated. Uh, but we did not change a thing. So that almost makes me believe more that he had no visitation rights with his children, mm -hmm. because if he did in most circumstances uh fire flood hell high water death you have to stick to with your parenting agreement unless you yeah. specifically get permission to do otherwise yeah um 
and they were in his home for almost a year. Yep. If he had any rights to his children, they would have seen him at some point during that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, man... There's there's an ep- there's a case that I've been considering covering um that this kind of makes me want to do more. Uh-huh. Because it's uh it created a law in the UK, I believe, that doesn't exist here that I think we need here. Oh, and what is it? And if we had that law, it would have prevented this. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, interesting. So I'd like to hear about maybe it. Maybe I'll do that as my next case. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. So yeah, that is uh and that's why I titled this uh episode Justice for Mason. Mm-hmm. Just to go on with the, you know, that because that's what we need. We need justice for Mason because this is really sad. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. I am surprised that I didn't hear anything about this. Yeah. And this was just like that last, like him pleading not guilty. That happened a couple of days ago. So. And you know what it probably is, is that the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case is all consuming everywhere Uh right now. It probably Uh buried this story. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise I guarantee this would have been on my homepage. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So. So you're welcome for that. That's wow, a little thank, thank you. Yeah. You know, I just I'm here to to provide. Uh I feel provided for. Good. I'm glad. That's yeah. what I do. And I think um since we discussed it a little bit, now's a good time to tell the listeners uh-huh. that um Life has been crazy for both of us. 100%. And it is getting crazier. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are currently discussing changing things a little bit and scaling things back. Yeah. uh, To make our lives less stressful. Not that we want to. It's just too much right now. (laughs) Yeah. For both Um, of us. Because we're both in school. And yeah. In school, working full time, you have Mm -hmm. a family. Mm -hmm. Um, I have zero social life because everything else is all consuming. (laughs) So, like, I I get I I make do, but I feel like now that it's both of us, or Mm -hmm. I feel like we've kind of been like keeping it quiet from each other. Yeah, yeah, Um, but this is yeah. But it's it's kind of gotten to the point that like something's got to give somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I know we both still value this, so we'll make something work. It just may have to be less. Yes. Yeah. But we'll. But we still love you guys, and we appreciate the support, and yes. we still want to keep doing this. But we, I think it's going to be. And it really sucks that this is happening right now because out of fucking nowhere, our listenership has like doubled. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, we got, we usually hover somewhere. We've been steadily increasing, but we've been at about 3,000 downloads per month the last couple of months. Uh-huh. April, over 7,000. Out of nowhere. Fuck. Shut the fuck up. And in May, it's the 11th right now. We're already at two and a half, like 2,600 downloads for May. I don't know what the fuck happened. 
Do you think it was from that one episode that had to have been shared somewhere? Possibly. Like, it's very clear we have a ton of new listeners. I have no idea where they came from. No idea. Can you tell us where you came from? <laughs> I mean, I could see on a map where y'all are coming from, but like... Where's the majority who coming sent from? You? Yeah. Who sent you? <laughs> who sent you here? <laughs> Come back with a word. We only know five people. Who sent you? And some of those people are the same people. (laughs) You know what? Actually, I saw a really great quote today. And let's we're going to end the episode on this because I I think it's great and and we need it. So um, this the quote is. And this is totally unrelated to anything true crime. I'm just this. This really fits my mood right now. And I think you'll connect with this. Uh So it is what support do you need from me to enable you to think critically? (laughs) Oh, no, Uh, to think more critically. Critically. Oh, my goodness. So I think um, I think I'm going to take that that phrase and I'm going to tuck it in my back pocket. I'm probably going to end up using it sometime in the next week. (laughs) You should. And uh, yeah, so we'll keep everyone updated. Yeah. And we're trying. trying. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we're trying to leave the party just when everybody got there. Yeah. Hey, okay, well, we got to go. It's 9 p.m. and I'm (laughs) old. I'm sorry. So enjoy. Bye-bye. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, But we will see you next week. Yes, we will. We will. All right. See you guys later. Goodbye. Bye.